If you've ever felt like you're not good enough, like you don't deserve to lose the weight and get healthy, or that you've failed too many times to even bother continuing to try, then this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show is for you. Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. Today we catch up with my friend Ali Rizakos. Allie has spent her career in tech sales, working at Salesforce for many of those years. Last year, she decided that she wanted to have success on her own terms and left the corporate world to start her own coaching business, where she now specializes in imposter syndrome, specifically helping leaders at tech companies get clarity around what success looks like for them and the impact that they want to have. In this conversation, we discuss the often overpowering and inadequate thoughts and feelings that every one of us experience with our jobs, with our families, with our health, and certainly with our fitness and our weight loss goals. Allie shares the way these beliefs come to fruition, how to identify these powerful inner critics, and ways to start to create more realistic expectations through our daily actions and ongoing behaviors. If you've ever felt like an imposter despite clear evidence that you're not, then you're going to love this conversation. Allie, welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. How are you? Good. How are you, Ben? I'm doing awesome. It's good to catch up with you again. What's been going on? Lots has been going on. Working on lots of projects and trying to work on productivity and time management and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, Aren't we all, first of all? And so you are an imposter syndrome coach. That I am, yeah. And um, so let's just dive right in. Like, what does that mean? And and why is that relevant for our listeners? Because I know you work kind of in tech sales or or with people in tech sales. And here we're on a health and fitness and nutrition podcast. And so... I think the question you know that's that people are going to be asking themselves is how is that relevant to me so first and foremost like what is imposter syndrome right so the kind of formal clinical definition if you will that was created back in the 70s when the research was done on this this phenomenon is um, incessant thoughts of inadequacy despite evidence of success so really feeling like you're a failure and a fraud although you actually have been successful mm. And so, yeah, my background is in the tech sales space. So that's obviously kind of, you know, who I service because they will obviously identify with me and my background and my stories. And anyone that's in tech sales is by default, a hyperachiever, right? They're mm-hmm. just like, I mean, why, why would you be in sales if not, right? Like, sure. <laughs> it's commission-based, like you make more money if you close more deals, right? Like achievement is baked into the into the formula of success as a salesperson. And I was I was actually thinking about this today. I've never really um, said this, but someone was bashing me about imposter syndrome and he was kind of like, what do you really do? Which is what you just asked me, right? And I kind of want to say like, honestly, I feel like I am helping recovering hyperachievers 
Like, (laughs) because that's the problem is like this hyper achievement that we're so focused on, right? That like thinking that achievement is going to be the thing that's going to make us feel better and make us feel whole. And all it does is dig the well deeper than it already was, right? Because the second you achieve a thing, guess what your mind's telling you? Mm -hmm. Achieve another thing. It's the next thing and it's the next thing. And and so that's why they call it like the hamster wheel, right? Because it's just like, it never, you're just... You're just in it, spinning around in circles, not really sure accomplishing things, but like at the core, like why my clients come to me is like, I've done it all, right? I've accomplished all this stuff, you know, I'm the top performer, get promoted, la la la. And like, man, does it not feel fulfilling, you know? Yeah. And they're just like, what do I do? This is the only thing I've ever known, like in terms of how to be successful, right? And like, sure, I have success on paper, but I certainly don't have like, a feeling of success in my life, right? Because what often happens too, as a hyperachiever, and when you have imposter syndrome is like, you're always trying to prove something. So you'll often say yes to more than you ever need to, which then makes you work more than you would ever need to, which then makes you have to sacrifice things that you love, right? People and hobbies and whatever it might be. And then your life is literally work. And if work is not the thing that's fulfilling you, you're like, what the hell am I I doing? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Like what is left? You know, how do I find that level of fulfillment? Uh, Then to, to kind of backtrack to health and fitness, what I can see a a lot of um, similarity to is, is a lot of people have success in a lot of areas of their life, but ultimately find themselves neglecting their health, their fitness, nutrition, um, their family. And, And a lot of it comes back to, and I hear this quite a lot is the feelings around, that ultimately they feel like they just don't deserve to look mm. good, to feel good. They compare themselves to others and say, I'll never look like that right. person. I don't deserve to uh, have the the body that I want to have. What else is, is prevalent is, you know what? I've tried so many times mm. and failed so many times yeah. that um, why bother trying again? Like I'll never be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. What I find with my clients is oftentimes, so in the big, right in the beginning of working with, with my clients, I have them kind of evaluate themselves based on four different categories, love, play, work, and health. And health is like purposely at the bottom because health is the foundation of every ounce of success that you'll ever have in your life. Right. And, you know, no one's coming to me, like I'm not a health coach. Right. But it is absolutely a part of the coaching that I do because usually typically health is like a one or a two, you know? Mm. And whenever I see that, I always dig in because I'm like, okay, what's going on. Right. Because when you consistently, like you said, like when you consistently neglect your health, like, yes, there is a belief that you don't deserve it, but you're also creating evidence for your mind that you don't value yourself and your body every single day, right? There's evidence telling you that, right? So now how is your mind going to create thoughts that are anything other than I don't really value myself? Mm -hmm. It has only evidence that you don't really value yourself, right? Like if you say yes to projects, you don't really want to say projects to at work and you neglect your friends or your family and all these things. I mean, like that are seemingly important to you, right? Of course, if these things are important to your friends and your family, right? You're basically saying, yeah, I, I don't matter. I don't matter every single day. I don't matter. And so of course 
why the hell would they go pick up a weight or like go for a run, right? right? Like, why would you take care of something that doesn't matter? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think that uh, so much of that has been perpetuated over the years by virtue of, again, just like focusing on every other aspect of their life, but their health, as well as kind of perhaps like overly critical parents, overly critical mm -hmm. teachers, sort of planting this, this idea in their head that, in fact, they're not worth it. You know, they're not good enough, right? Yeah. And I imagine that's something that you have conversations around quite a lot. The I'm not good enough talk track, yeah, is like exactly what I help people uncover where it started, you know, how it's, how they've perpetuated it in their life and, and what keeps them believing it, right? Because like I said, if they have evidence of it every day, then of course you're going to keep believing it, right? The, I think the interesting part too around the health thing, like I said, I'm not a health coach, but, and I, we do talk about it in, in my coaching because I noticed that with my clients whose health is a priority for them, i.e., you know, they work out every day, they go for walks or not every day, but whatever, you know, like they eat, they eat well, they nourish themselves, like, you know, they value their body is what I'm trying to say, right? That their speed and depth of transformation mentally and then in their lives is much quicker than people whose health is like kind of at an all-time low or like really not a priority or just in the dumps a bit. I find that you know, we'll talk about a topic, you know, something around a limiting belief. And like the next week, it's like, we're still talking about the same thing and the same thing. It's like, it's not clicking because again, every week they're proving to themselves that like, you know, that every week they have more evidence of like, I'm not enough. I don't matter. So what are the, some of the tools that you utilize with in the tech world for your hyper achievers to start to uh, squash those limiting beliefs and and sort of how can we translate that into overcoming the limiting beliefs around the similar things in, in weight loss and nutrition and worthiness, right? All of those things. Totally. Yeah. So the first and foremost is really recognizing what are, like, what is the inner critic in you saying, right? Like what's it's, what's the constant talk track and when is it triggered the most? Right. Because essentially, like I mentioned, like these, the inner critic was really developed in our, in our childhood. Right. So for me as the hyperachiever, that's my inner critic, my biggest one, and I'm a people pleaser. So literally I can see the direct correlation to like, I got the people pleaser from my mom. She's a huge people pleaser. And I got the hyperachiever from my dad. Who's like uh -huh. one, of the most successful, yeah, one of the most successful people in his family, like the whole thing. And so like, I just took on what I learned, but I also made up a story because every, I think everyone, no matter gender kind of has daddy issues, right? Cause we live in a patriarchy. And mm -hmm. so I made up a story when I was young that said, I need to be successful in terms of like the business world. And like, I need to be productive and do the most and be the best at whatever I do, especially in the business world, so that my father will love me. And of course, he never said any of those things really, totally. right? But I could tell, like, listen, kids aren't stupid. I could tell what he prioritized though. Like he wasn't around as much. He was always working, right? right. So as a kid, I was like, okay, interesting. Yeah. So if yeah. I do the most, right, if I'm always working, he will love me more. I could, you know, I can show, I have something to show to him that he could love, right? Because when you're born, you know that you're enough because you don't have any other faculties to realize anything else, right? The whole world revolves around you. But then when you get to like seven and eight, your brain develops in a way that you can feel regret and shame and all these different emotions. And that's when we start to 
develop this I'm not enough talk track. So long story short, we get deep into like, where did this come from? Right. So, you know, some of my clients, it's like, you need to be perfect, right? Like everything has to look perfect. Everything has to be perfect. Right. So they develop this like stickler type of like critical mentality about everything. And they want to control everything because everything has to be perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these voices have been living in our head rent free, right? Just absolutely taking up all the space. And by having awareness and putting attention on them, we can start to really understand exactly what they say to us, the words, when they typically say it to us, right? So the triggers. And then we can also put those thoughts like on trial, if you will. So a lot of times, like my clients will will say like, you know, but I'm scared that like someone's going to judge me or like they're going to say something and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, have you ever gotten feedback about this thing? Any negative feedback about this thing that you've done many times in the past? We're like, oh, God, no, no. I'm Everyone thinks I'm great. And I'm like, right. So you have zero evidence, right, that would ever prove this thought that you're having to be true. Yeah right? You don't have any evidence of it, right? And they're like, I guess you're right. So you kind of put your thoughts on trial to be like, show me the evidence thoughts. I hear you. Like, show me, show me where it's at. Show me the evidence. And like 99% of the time they have no evidence of it. Right. So you start to like one separate yourself from the thought, right? So it's like, it's not you It's a thought. And because it's a thought and it's not you, you, the like logical intellectual, you can put that thought on trial, but can also just say like, yo, take a hike. Mm-hmm. Like, get out of here. I'm not believing this today, right? Like, this mm-hmm. is not helpful. I'm not into this. And what I often tell my clients, well, I have all of them do as a tool is to give a name to the inner critic, right? So um, like one of my clients, um, his inner critic is restless, right? He's always like, what's the next thing? This is boring. I got to keep going, right? And so he calls that inner critic when it shows up because he, know, you know, he knows what it sounds like. He knows when it shows up, the triggers. So he calls it Kramer right? Like from Seinfeld, right? Because he's yeah, totally. a spaz, right? And my client is like a self-proclaimed spaz, right? He just like called himself that. And so now he lives that identity because he's called himself that, right? And so what I helped him understand is that like, you are not a spaz. There are, there's a voice inside you, the Kramer voice that yes, says spazzy things. Only when you listen to him, would you maybe show up as a spaz, but that is not you, right? It's just a yeah. voice inside of you. And what I also teach my clients is like our imagination, i.e. these voices in us, are completely limitless. Like we can think of anything. Like I could ask you to think of something right now that you've never done or never seen or never witnessed. And you could think of it. Like if I gave you enough detail, you could think of it. Your mind could create an image of it in your head. Mm-hmm. So if we can create anything in our minds, we can then have any thoughts, right? And we can then change any thoughts, right? So the work that I do is really about helping people understand their thoughts and helping them understand that like, if you can change your thoughts, you can change your reality. Yeah. A hundred percent. How does our environment impact the thoughts that we create that perpetuate the imposter syndrome? Yes. Such a good question. Such a good question because there is environmental factors as well. So there was a Harvard Business Review article, the most popular one last year, and it was called Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. And the article was really all around like the environments in which imposter syndrome is perpetuated really. Right. So for example, like women in the tech world, I mean, it's, it's still a predominantly male space, right? So if you're a woman and you really want to be a VP of sales or whatever, some high title and no one in your company is a woman and is a VP of sales or a VP of anything, 
that's an environment where it could be easier to feel some imposter syndrome around, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to become that because I don't have any evidence. Again, it always comes back to like evidence and data, right? I don't have any evidence that that's true, right? You might have evidence in other companies, but that also might make you want to leave the current company that you're at and go to other companies where there is more representation and evidence, right? So for sure, environment is a factor. And there's an analogy that I always use because I never advocate for people to leave their jobs or quit corporate or, you know, do exactly what I did, right? Like you are on your own. I do all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen, they get there on their own, right? Like I don't need to advocate it. They'll get there on their own. I'm very non-judgmental about whatever they choose, right? Because you can have your, have success on your own terms in the corporate environment. You just need to learn how to create that for yourself versus like, just blindly following the path of the corporate world, which is just like work until you die and, you know, retire, right? And never be fulfilled. So the analogy that I use oftentimes, because, you know, it sometimes gets to that point in my coaching where the client realizes, hmm, I think I need to leave my job, right? Because it's like, we've done all the work on our on themselves really to understand like the inner critic, what do they value? You know, what are their strengths? What motivates them? Like, what is the impact that they really want to have? And they go and try to have it and create that at their company. And it's like shot down or squashed or whatever it might be. And it's like, so the analogy that I use is about that. It's not this plant, but it's about a plant in a pot. Um, so I had a peace lily. And peace lilies um, flower, right? They have the white flowers. And for whatever reason, no matter what I did with my peace lily, I was like, you know, like brushing its leaves, taking the dust off. I like distilled the water for, I was trying everything to like take care of this peace lily so it would bloom and be beautiful. Nothing worked, like literally nothing. And here I am, I'm like, I'm such a bad plant owner. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And finally I Googled it to be like, how the hell do you get a peace lily to flower? And the answer was that the pot that it's in is too small. Mm. It will never grow and it will never become beautiful because the pot that it's in is too small. And I literally use that analogy with every single one of my clients because they, they always get to that point where I'm like, the pot's too small. Mm-hmm. Like you're ne- you're never going to bloom. You're never going to blossom. The pot that you're in is too small. I love that. The majority of the people listening are not corporate, especially females, like, you know, listening to this are not corporate executives, right? They're probably busy moms and dads looking to improve their energy and lose some body fat and, you know, perhaps young kids at home. And, and I think, um, especially for women, uh, a lot of times they get lost in the responsibilities and expectations around, uh, around everything that they're supposed to be doing, right? Around the fact that they're supposed to be a a mom around the fact that there's also supposed to perhaps have a career around also they're supposed to be you know homemaker also they're supposed to look amazing all of the time um and and sort of aligning that in addition to my question about their environment of uh, and i guess i'm tackling a couple things here and you can approach it any way you want but i think so much of it is around the expectations inherent in just the the community environment, right? The the social uh, their social support system, what's perpetuated in media, and this is both for males and females equally, oh, yeah. especially when I think about environment, right? To the degree that it's probably pretty darn easy now that we have an understanding of what this imposter syndrome is. Like, let's be honest, we all experience this in a multitude of ways, mm-hmm. but. 
it's very reasonable that the average Jane and Joe is going to be experiencing this right by virtue of everything I just described. Yeah. So I, I'm certified in positive psychology. And one of the studies that we learned about was, I can't remember who did it or, you know, all those specifics, but it was basically like they asked women to write down all the things that they, they are responsible for, like in a day or, you know, just like in their life. Right. And women wrote down like 13 to 15 things. And then they asked men the exact same question. And the average was three things. Right. Yeah. Meaning that like, yes, the media and our social gender norms and roles and whatnot, like every woman I've ever met has been programmed and bred and, you know, raised to have a list of 13 to 15 things at all times of life. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. And mm-hmm. men have three, right. It's like, be strong, make money. Like, you know, like it's yeah. like be the financial, be stable and be financially successful. Right. Basically. And, and maybe fit, I guess. I don't know. I can't yeah. remember what the one was, but, but for women, it's like the house should be clean and like this, the you know, all these things. Right. And that's also why I think that there's like this myth around, that women have imposter syndrome and men don't, or that women have it more than men because we're kind of like everyone's are their, their own worst enemy, but like women are their own worst enemy in the sense that like they keep the to-do list at an unmanageable yes. level yes. at all times. Right. And then you have to think about that. Like we were, we were saying right before we started recording, right. I'm like, who the, who the hell is telling me to do these things? Right. Like I am my own boss, right. I run my own company. Like no one is telling me that I need to work 13 hours in a day. Right. Like those are my choices, but it's like, if I choose, if I chose that, I can choose something different too. Right. Like I'm always at choice and there is so many tools that you can use in terms of, you know, that the list for women that helps you figure out what is the priority today, the one or two things, not the 17. Right. Yeah. Cause the biggest thing is that like, most people, especially with remote work, we did a whole session on that yesterday about like remote work and the challenges with it. One of the biggest challenges for people is like, you get to the end of the day and you don't feel accomplished. Right. And so you do that every day, 365 days. I mean, isn't that like just cause for imposter syndrome? Cause you're like, I'm never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. Right. But the cause of it isn't because you're not enough. Right. That's easy. You know, we're so good at beating ourselves up. The cause of it is that you're not managing your to-do list and your tasks and whatever, whatever it is in a way that actually honors you and actually recognizes all the things that you do, right. All the things that you do accomplish. But if you put in a day that you need to do 10 things and you only get do two a day, and then you feel like shit about it, you have to give your head a shake and be like, wait, who put the 10 things there? Absolutely. And, and I would say it's, I mean, just because men don't have the, the sheer volume of perceived expectations on their plate, they still have equally unrealistic expectations to the degree that it's not uncommon for me to speak to men and be like, you know, they want to be shredded, right? Like six pack abs. And and then of course, like have, you know, bulging muscles. And then of course, be like the best father in the world, but of course be extremely successful in in their business and in corporate and whatever it is. And so what I'm hearing is, is so much around one setting realistic expectations for someone that's going to come and work with us for a year for for weight loss we're not going to go from 30 percent body fat to 10 percent shredded you know body fat in a year yeah right or ever 
for yeah, that yeah. matter. And who, who well, and what's the value? Like, yeah. What's, why would you even want to be there? Yeah. You know, how is that going to serve you? That's a whole different story. Who made you think that that was even something that was reasonable, right, for you? And then similarly, we're worth it, right? I think we just like totally. make these, these goals of like, oh, be cool. And you're like, what's cool? Like, how is that valuable? You know? Well, at the end of the day, it's like, why am I doing this? Especially when, you know, you get to the point where it's that, that, you know, that teeter totter of, of, of is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Of, of the trade-off, you know, the sacrifices that need to be made to the degree that oftentimes when you get to the other side of that pendulum, it's, well, I was all business, you know, no life and wanting to get healthier, get leaner, have more family time. Now I'm all 100% focused on me, quote, quote unquote, health, you know, body composition, but I've still completely negated family time. Right. Now business is is suffering. So there always ha needs to be this, this balance. But, you know, within that is, you know, paying attention to and acknowledging the accomplishments that you're uh, creating on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to give you the evidence yeah. that you need yeah. to keep to going. Yeah, to keep going and, and stop giving yourself the guilt and the fear and the shame of not living up to what you perceive to be something that is probably not attainable anyways. Totally. And and I think, I'm, I'm sure you do this with clients, right? It's even teaching people how to goal set, right? Because, you know, if someone's goal is like, I need to lose 35 pounds. Sure, that is a goal, but it is not actually going to serve you in the sense that like, what does that define about you? In the sense of like, you need to create a goal that is an identity shift, really, mm -hmm. right? So it's not about the 35 pounds. What you're actually trying to do is you're trying to create an identity of someone who loves their body, loves fitness and makes healthy choices. So when they have the choice to eat a hamburger or a salad, it's like, well, I'm trying to create an identity of a healthy person. What would a healthy person do in this situation versus I need to lose 35 pounds. And so I'm not, right. you know, like I heard this on a podcast with James Clear who wrote Atomic Habits, right? Because people love setting these like goals of better results, right? That's a result and that's an right. outcome, right? 35 pounds. But what is the lifestyle that you're going to need to lead in order to achieve that result? And is that actually a lifestyle that you're even going to like? Because guess what? If it's not, then you're not going to do it. Then you're going to beat yourself up and la la la, right? right. So it's like, there's so much in goal setting and that's where I start with my clients, right? Because in the first call, they kind of tell me what their goals are. And then I'm like, we'll refine those in a bit. The, the goal is actually always self-acceptance. Right. That's, right. At the, that's at the bottom of this whole pyramid, right? Is like without self-acceptance, good luck. Like all you're going to do is be in like whatever rat race you're in. It doesn't have to be the corporate rat race, but what, you're going to be in a rat race of your own creation for the rest of your life because all you're going to ever try to do is prove that you're good enough. Well, totally. And right? often in health and fitness, it's like we're going to go down the rabbit hole of getting as lean as possible and then you get there, but it's not sustainable. Totally. And then you're going to get back to normal lifestyle. Yeah. And then you'd be like, you know, when I was there, 
like all I want to do is get back to there or I'll, next time I'm going to try harder or do more. And ultimately, none of it is let, lending itself to, right? When you were there, you weren't happy either. You were like, yeah, right, okay, exactly. what, take so the what, picture yeah, and, and then what? Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm so grateful that you you mentioned that because, I mean, that's at the foundation of what we try and, and help our clients with. In fact, you know, part of our mission is to help our clients change their belief system around what it means to be healthy, Yeah. right? Because we can set the goal, right, initially out of the gate is yeah, like 35 pounds. That's amazing, right? But we understand and we're going to help you understand that you actually need to change as a person. You need to become the type of person that actually enjoys doing the things that are ne that necessitate losing and, and, and maintaining that that weight, eating healthier foods and moving more frequently and and hanging around with the type of people that also do the right. same thing. Speaking yeah. of environments, exactly. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to share this story because I also was on. Um, a LinkedIn live this week with another fitness coach, because it is honestly a huge part of my life. It is an identity that I have. I just worked out before this. <laughs> so, um, for the longest time I would weigh myself every single day, every, it was a routine. It was like a ritual in the morning of like, you know, I'd wake up and I'd go to the bathroom and then I'd weigh myself, which was always very convenient because it's the lightest you're ever going to be in a day. And I never God, I never dared worry myself like in the middle of the day or at the end no. of the day, I didn't want to, I didn't want to know that. Right. But so that was the ritual. I go to the bathroom and I weigh myself and the scale was right beside, you know, in the bathroom and depending on what the scale said. Right. So if it was, if the number was over my arbitrary set point. I just like gave myself, like who's told me, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, right. right. Or whatever. Right. My arbitrary set point, if it was over that number, I felt like shit all day. Right. I beat myself up in my head mm. and whatever. And if it was under that number, I'm like, I'm the best. Like I, I can have a good day today. Right. And I'll probably even treat myself with like a piece of cake <laughs> today, which is kind right. of counterintuitive. Right. But so I did that for years. And then one day, you know, as I started to learn more about like our thoughts and, you know, how they become our reality and our beliefs and our identity, I asked myself, what if I just didn't weigh myself every day? And the immediate inner critic thought was like, are you crazy? Like, you'll, you'll get fat. Like, you can't do that. You'll get fat. Right. Which was like, you know, this deep belief in my mind, right? And I heard it in that moment. I was like, oh my God. I was like, I don't trust myself. I trust the scale. Right. I give, I'm giving my power to the scale and the number on the scale. I do not trust myself to be able to maintain a healthy functional weight that, you know, feels good and that I can still, you know, do the things that I want to do. Like I do not trust myself. Right. And so from that day on forward, I was like, okay, well, that's not going to work for me. Right. Like I don't want to be controlled by this number. And although I was being controlled by it, it felt like it was serving me. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously misleadingly, right. It like wasn't actually, but it felt that way. Right. And when I, but what I finally came to, to be like, oh my God, I don't trust myself. I obviously now don't weigh myself. I've been also traveling a lot. There's no scales in Airbnbs, which is fantastic. But, <laughs> but I never, I never really weigh myself. Like sometimes, you know, just to kind of check in, Hey, where, where are things at? Right. Right. But not to be controlled by that number or not. Right. Like, frankly, I've gained 10 pounds since the pandemic and I don't really care anymore. Right. Like right. this seems to be my new like weight and I'm good with that. But that realization of I didn't trust myself and that I was being controlled by a number external to myself that by the way, I set, you know, like, again, like we are setting ourselves these unrealistic expectations, mm -hmm. you know, for my, for my clients in the sales world, right? Like their quota, their quota is that external number that they, they didn't die by set. the quota. 
right? Well, but and they didn't even set the quota. So like there is a bit of like an ex, you know, someone else doing that. But oh my God, people's self-worth is absolutely tied to that number, right? If they do well one month, they're on top of the world. And if they don't do well one month, they're, you know, in their minds, a piece of crap. Just absolute ebb and and you know, peak and valley of feeling good or not good about myself based on some external number that by the way, like some tech bro made up in a fucking boardroom for whatever. Right. Cause like they have some, right. you know, kind of dream about being a unicorn or whatever, you know, like it's a, who, what does this even right. mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. And it was the same thing for the scale. Like, what does this number even mean really? Like, right. sure. Yeah. Maybe it's in a, you know, a pretty good range of health, but like, Still well, there. No, but that that hits the nail on the head. It's like, what is it? What's the significance of this number in your mind? Like when we have a conversation and you say you want to be 140 pounds, why? Like, what I mean, can you do at 140 pounds? How how does your self worth change? You know, how do your confidence right. levels change? How do you you know clothes fit? Like, how are you a different person? And what does that person represent that you're not currently embodying? Yeah, that's really the name of the game. One of my best sales teachers of all times which was like the moment where I was like, oh, wow, I, I can be in the sales world because he proved to me that you can do sales differently. So his name is Guru Ganesh. He's like a white guy, but with a turban and a huge beard, huh? <laughs> like went like super spiritual Kundalini. And he's an amazing sales instructor and teacher. And so at Salesforce, we got um, exposure to him quite a bit. And him and I are actually now friends, which is amazing because he was like the reason why I was like, okay, sales can be like, not just aggressive snake yeah. oil kind of yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And so one of the foundational principles of his sales training, which is by the way, called conscious selling, which is like so nice, right? There you go. Um, one of the, the foundational principles of his, of his sales training is that to embody the mentality that you are financially independent and you do not need this person's money or like this deal that you're about to talk to, right? Like this opportunity, like you always need to embody that. Like you are good, no matter oh, yeah. what happens, it is not going to change anything about you and your worth and nothing. Right. Because then what, right. like you've won, people are going to be throwing money at you because they're just mm -hmm. like, wait, like, cause you know, we always want what we can't have. Right. So if you're just like, yeah, Hey, maybe this isn't for you. They're like, whoa, wait a second, you know, maybe, maybe I do want this to be for me. Right. But if you're like, listen, this is why you're going to love it. It's going to be great for you. Everyone's like, yeah, no, thank you. Like, oh, I yeah. don't need to like try to convince me of something that you're clearly not that confident about. Cause why are you trying to convince me of it? Right. So kind of what's a good first step for people that are listening sort of understanding more about this imposter syndrome, identifying with the areas that we talked about that resonate with them, starting to see, okay, like, yeah, this is present in some areas. And what can I do? What can we do? What can our listeners do to kind of start to identify or, or, or dig into those a little bit and um, make the shift? The, I think the easiest thing to do and the most kind of impactful to be quite honest. And it's something that I, a habit of mine that I developed a very long time ago that I attribute to like a lot of the mental mastery and kind of, yeah, mental mastery, I guess, in my own life um, is gratitude journaling every day. So I follow the five minute journal, um, mm -hmm. method, but I've added, I've added a little bit to it. So the five minute journal method is in the morning, you write down three things that you're grateful for three things that would make the day great. 
and they should be things that are in your control. So like, don't write every day. Like, I really hope it's sunny today. Like, or I win the lottery or some shit. Right. Like that, like, that doesn't matter. Right. Not going to be something you can do. Right. And then, and then an affirmation for the day. Right. So like one that I often still use, right. Is I'm already enough. Yeah. Right. Just to remind myself, like, don't go into this, you know, doing more mode, right. You're already enough. Then at the end of the day, you um, review like what was great about today, right? Three things that was great about the day. Then you write down like, what's one thing I could have maybe done differently to have a, you know, more productive, not even more productive, but a better day, right? Mm -hmm. More satisfying day. And then the thing that I added is where did I judge myself today? Because that's the part where you start to tap into the inner critic and start to hear and be able to pinpoint what they continuously tell you right because all judgment is an inner like is your critic and this does a couple things one habit building is super important in, for your entire life right like being able to to create a habit in your life is just one of the most powerful tools that you'll that you'll need to be successful in anything but two going back to evidence it will give you a bunch of evidence right after you do it for a while of especially in the th- three things that you're grateful for the things that you value most in life, right? So literally without fail, it might be a bit of a cop-out, but I don't think it is. I write my health every single day. Like I'm always grateful for my health because guess what? Tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen, right? So I am going to be grateful for it today and I'm going to be grateful for it every day because I don't ever want to be in a situation where I can't do the things I want to do because of my health and my body, right? So I'm going to be grateful for it today. So clearly the health is important to me, right? Oftentimes I'll write something about nature and oftentimes I'll write something about a relationship, right? Like a friend or, you know, my partner, whatever it might be showing me that like, clearly my health, nature and relationships, like community is super important to me. Right. And you start to see the trend over time. Right. So it'll give you evidence of your values, which is super important. The second part is the things that will make today great. This is the expectation setting that we were talking about. So I take that as an opportunity to kind of create like a mini to-do list, not always of like work stuff that I need to do, but even like, uh, you know, call a friend, right. Or whatever it might, whatever it might be. But I really stick to those three things. And sometimes I don't do them all, but I always try to be compassionate with myself in that list to know that like, I'm not going to conquer the world today or ever. And this is the only three things that really matter truthfully today of getting done. Yeah, sure. There's other shit on the list, but like today, this is what's going to make today great. Not all, you know, let's not project into the future. And then the judgment thing, like I said, is the third piece, which is really getting acquainted with the inner critic to really understand like, where is it showing up the most for you? Right. Mm -hmm. Cause then once you have, you know, a lot of data and evidence on that, you can start to dig in, right. Okay. Clearly it shows up most, you know, whatever it is at work, like clearly it shows up most in my, like how I talk about my body to myself. Right. You never like, and maybe it's both because that happened to me, but, (laughs) but you'll start to realize like, where is kind of the first entry point that I need to dig in to see like what's really going on behind the scenes here. That's great. I love that and appreciate how it helps you align with realistic expectations that are in fact in line with your values or help you identify what your values are by virtue of what your expectations are or gratitude, you know, what, what you uh, appreciate from the day. Uh, Similarly is how to acknowledge the accomplishments from day to day in a realistic way. Mm. Um, And then speaking to the, and then identifying and speaking to the inner critic as, as just showing up on your radar. 
Yeah. Right. Because you otherwise it. it's happening, but you're not noticing right. it. And that's, that's the worst place to be, you know? And then as you can set is name it, start yeah. to identify it and then choose to silence it. Yeah, exactly. Whatever way works best for you. That's amazing. Allie, tell us how people can find out more about you. Yeah. So my website is a pretty good place to check out in terms of my story and my program. I have a signature four month program. Um, you can check out some of the other podcasts I've been on as well. So my website is www.allyrosakos.com. And most importantly, if today resonated with you, you can book a call with me to see if there could be a fit for us working together. Amazing. I appreciate it. It definitely resonated with me on a, a multitude of levels, especially as a business owner, as a podcaster, if you will, right? <laughs> um, just a, a number of things that I think we all deal with. And, and this, listen, this is something we all experience, Absolutely. right? In so many different ways. And I can be the first one to say, it. I mean, every single one of these episodes, it ends up being like, why am I doing this? You know, yeah. who's, who's going to listen to this? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, know. Um, I know. And so uh, I appreciate you. And uh, I want to thank you for your time. And uh, if you guys uh, resonated with Allie uh, today, make sure to reach out and follow her and uh, maybe schedule a call to see how she can help you. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple. 